Pastor Raymond Kirkland. Give him a good warm welcome from Living Word. Amen. You may be seated this evening. I feel honored to be here. Such a blessing to see all the pastors, all the friends, everybody. Some of you might not know me. They used to call me Uncle Ray Ray. Uh, I've been around a long time preaching in this group, and I just love to see what God's doing. It's so beautiful. Amen. This morning, Pastor Edgy took me out and fed me a big old chicken fried steak, and I put a lot of Tabasco on it, so get ready tonight. <laughs> I hooked up that Tabasco. <laughs> amen. God is so good. Amen. You, you learned last night that if you say amen more, you get out sooner. It's just the way it works. And so, <laughs> oh, amen. My wife is uh, not able to be with me this morning my, or this evening. My mother is uh, getting a little older and she just needs somebody to be with her. So, I love my wife, and she wanted to be here. She loves to be here. She wanted to say hello and hug everybody's neck, but she just couldn't make it. And I don't remember. I was talking this morning to Pastor Ruben. I can't remember if I have 17 or 18 grandkids, but I got a bunch of them. Amen. My kids thought they were rabbits. <laughs> but anyway, it's a blessing to be here, and I'm excited to be with you tonight. We're going to get right into it this evening. We're going to tell some stories and see what God's going to do. I believe the Lord's going to speak to somebody tonight. Amen. I believe he's going to he's going to challenge your heart in a beautiful, beautiful way. Only the way the Holy Spirit can do it. I'm going to come out of Psalms, uh, chapter 118. I'm just going to read the first, I don't know, eight or nine verses, and then we'll skip down to a different verse. I just want you to catch the spirit of David as he's writing this. Psalms 118. It says, "Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He's good; His mercy endures forever." Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them that fear the Lord now say that his mercy endures forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord takes my part with them that help me. Therefore I shall see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Amen. That's a powerful scripture. So if you notice it here, David starts off with a praise. He's just praising God. The Lord endures forever. His mercy is fantastic. And he just starts with a praise, but then he shifts gears a little bit. And he starts talking about in his distress. He's got something else on his mind. So there's the first thing I want you to catch here is when you're, you're facing a struggle, the best way to do it is start with a praise. It, it, it's the best way to do it. I, it we all are going to have struggles. Can somebody say amen? No matter what the struggle is, God is still good. You can't put God's goodness based on your circumstances or based on something that you're looking at. God is always good. Amen. He's always good. And the best way to always start life is with a praise and just start your day that way. The Lord's mercy. You know what mercy is, right? Mercy means you got caught, but God didn't send you. Send you. Amen. I'm trying not to cuss here. <laughs> he didn't send you to the bad place. He had mercy on you. He let you. He lets you slide. God's mercy is good. All of us would be in hell if it wasn't for God's mercy. 
Every one of us in this room, God has been merciful to us. And so he starts that way and he, he says, you know, I, I'm, I'm praising God and then I hit the struggle and in my distress, I, I press through in God. And then I want to jump down to verse 17 just because of the sake of time tonight. And he says these words, he's still talking about his distress, his struggle. He said, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Everybody say that with me. I shall not die but live. And declare the works of the Lord. So he starts prophesying to himself. Sometimes you just got to look in the mirror and prophesy to yourself. I, honest to God, you, people will tear you down. They'll talk some trash on you. Amen. They'll lie on you, everything else. But I want to tell you something. Our God is good. And it doesn't matter what the bad report is. It doesn't matter how bad things are. There's a, the, the doctor's reports are sometimes very factual, but they're not truth. Facts and truth are two different things. The fact is, you got this problem. The truth is, you're healed by his stripes. Amen. Truth, truth always supersedes fact. And, and so you got to learn to have that praise. And even in the worst days, even in the worst places, David says these words. He says, I shall live and not die. Ooh, he started prophesying. Okay, so I want you to get this. You get, if you don't catch on to anything else tonight, I want you to get that one little phrase, I shall live and not die. I shall live and not die. Because your mind will gravitate towards fear. Your mind will gravitate towards the negative. It's something about the fallen nature of man that gets in there. But he says, you know, I'm not going to fear, he said, what man can do to me. I'm not going to fear what the princes or the powers or politics can do to me. He said, I'm not worried about, I shall live and not die. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the report says. I shall live and not die. Sometimes you got to talk back to the devil. Amen. you got to talk back. You got to learn how to deal with some of those issues. Ooh, I feel like just let me just stop for a moment and let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit in this place. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to talk to us tonight, that you're going to touch our lives, that you're going to do something special. You're going to heal people, deliver people, and set our minds free tonight in Jesus' name. Mental illness must be broken in Jesus' name. This very night, Lord, we shall live and we shall not die in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to start off saying to you tonight that I thank God for doctors. I do. I, doctors can find diseases. They can delay diseases. They can, they can uh, contain diseases, but they can't heal. Amen. God heals. Your body heals because God designed it to work a certain way. And I thank God for doctors. I have a lot of doctors and nurses in my church. I thank God for their intelligence and for all the scientific breakthroughs that people have had. But it's God that heals our bodies. It's God that heals our minds, our souls, our spirit. It's God. So when trouble comes, it might be in your marriage, your finances, your body, whatever it is. When trouble comes, you just need to remember this. Your God is an ever-present help in the time of your trouble. He's always there. And you can begin to praise him and break through the darkness, break through the oppression, and touch God. And God will, I don't care what man says, I don't care what anybody says, your God is able to heal you and deliver you. Amen. You've got to get that settled. I shall live and not die. That's what, the, that's what David said. He says, my life's not over yet. My story's not done yet. The book isn't finished yet. Amen. I'm only on chapter 9. we got 30 chapters here. 
Amen. Are you hearing me? He said, I'm not done with this book yet. My race isn't over yet. I'm not finished. This thing, there's still more here. You realize that when David wrote that, he was 140 years old and laying on his deathbed? He was dying. They had a virgin laid up against him trying to keep his body warm. Amen. And that's when he wrote this. He's laying there, and all of a sudden it dawns on this old man, no, no, no. My, not, my legacy, my book isn't finished yet. My legacy isn't done yet. God's got something else he wants me to do. It's not time to go yet. I'm not going to die. I shall live it. I'm not going to die. Something began to move in this old man. Something began to touch his heart. Now, Jacob in the Bible faced the very same thing. He was laying on his deathbed. And there he was. Now, Jacob, his whole life had been called Jacob, which we know means con artist or rip off. That's what the name means. God changed his name to, to Israel, which means prince or power with God. So his whole life he's fighting with this dual identity within himself. You know, it's, it's kind of like me. Amen. Some days I'm Ray Ray, and other days I'm Ray. <laughs> We're never sure which one's waking up in the morning. <laughs> there's, this, there's a battle going on. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he's been fighting this his whole life, and, and he's laying there. Jacob is laying there, if you read his story. He's thinking of all the bad things that have happened, how, how uh, his brother and him had, had uh, fallen away, how his, all of these things that happened in his life. He's going through all this. He's laying there, and Joseph, amen, Joseph hears about his father Jacob, and he hears that Jacob's dying, and he sends a letter to Jacob, and he says, what are you doing? I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now. I'm just kind of breaking it down to language we can understand. Amen. What are you doing? You can't die yet. You haven't blessed the seed. You haven't blessed my children. You haven't blessed the grandchildren. What are you doing, old man? Get up off the bed. And that's basically what he did. Jacob was in the throes of death, and all of a sudden he just pushed death back. He said, excuse me, devil, it ain't time to go yet. I'm not done with this race yet. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is an ability within you, all of you, to push back darkness. There is light and faith and power in you. If you praise God, you can illuminate something will happen. You can push back darkness. You can push back death. You can strengthen yourself. And that's exactly what Jacob did. He rose up and he said, I'm not done with this yet. And he began to lay his hands on his grandchildren and prophesy and release the blessing of God onto his grandchildren. Micah says it this way, Micah 7 verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Are you hearing what he's saying? He's prophesying to himself. He's prophesying to himself. He says, yeah, I got knocked down. Yeah, I'm depressed. Yeah, I'm going through some oppression. Yeah, I'm fighting right now. But I will arise. Listen, he didn't feel like arising right there. He felt like he's been beat down. But he says the prophecy to himself. I shall arise. I will do this. And in my darkness, God will visit me and be a light to me. Are you listening to me? Sometimes you're in a dark place. Sometimes you're in a hard place. But you have the ability to prophesy. You have the ability to be an oracle of God. I'm going to preach on that, I think, tomorrow. I'm going to teach you about how that works. But God placed within you an assignment. It's a lot. Every person in this room has an assignment from heaven. And I'll teach you what it is tomorrow. 
But part of that is the ability to speak and say what God would say. And so there's, there's a point where you have to learn to stand up against the storm, against the darkness, against what's ever going on. And you have to prophesy to its outcome before it happens. I used to take my kids and I'd take them to the, you know, the, like the circus and the, the roller coasters and all that stuff. And, and th well, they were little teeny guys. So what I would tell them, before we got on the ride, here's what I prophesied to them. You're going to be okay. We're going to put a little seatbelt on you, and it's going to be fun. I prophesied the outcome, and those little guys would climb right on, man. Like Before they would climb on, though, they were scared. They weren't going nowhere until I prophesied it's going to be okay. I'll be right with you. I'll be right beside you. I'm going to hold you. I didn't tell them we both could fly off the rail. I didn't say that. Are you hearing me? But the, just my prophecy, just my speaking to them brought strength to them to be able to go through that thing. And sometimes you just got to prophesy to yourself. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus told his disciples the same thing. He said, look here, guys. Here's what's going to go down. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die. But don't worry about it. I'm getting up on the third day. He prophesied his future. He spoke to the darkness. He spoke to the hurt. He spoke to the pain before it happened. Amen. Sometimes you're going to get yourself in the middle of a storm, start to prophesy. And that's exactly what David did. He's laying there and he realized, I'm not done with life yet. I still need to bless the legacy. I need to speak to Solomon. I need to speak to my, to, to my legacy. And he said, I shall not die, but I shall live. Amen. I shall live. He, he spoke to himself. It doesn't, it doesn't matter at this point what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what my body is saying. It matters that God is doing something in my life, and I'm willing to stand up and fight for it in Jesus' name. Now, I shared with you last night that there was a time in my life that I was doing a lot of drugs, and I was shooting up, and I got a dirty needle. And in that process, I ended up with what we call hepatitis C, but I'm an old coot. When I got hepatitis C, they didn't even know what it was. There was no such diagnosis as that. So when I went to the hospital, they thought I had lupus. So they started giving me medicine for lupus. That, that made me loopy. I was jacked up, man. Then they told me I had this new disease that came out, HIV. AIDS. And we, I'd never heard, nobody had ever heard of that. I said, what? And so they started giving me medicine for that. I'm sick as a dog. Nobody had discovered hepatitis C yet. So just, I, I, I'm, I'm sick. And I said, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go to the Philippines. I'm going to preach. I'm going to go over there and preach at one of my churches there. So I, I was getting ready to go. The doctor calls up. He says, I think we have a, an understanding that you have a new disease that's out. It's not hepatitis A or all this. It's hepatitis C. He says, I think we can treat this or help you with this. At least we have a diagnosis. I said, well, fine, whatever you want to say, bless the Lord, I'm going to the Philippines. I climbed on the plane, flew to the Philippines. I got so sick. I mean, I was yellow. I was sick. I was hurting. I was out in the middle of the jungle, General Santos, down at the bottom in the Mindanao Island. Um, and I was down there, and I got so sick I passed out. And so the next thing I know, they got a little jungle doctor down there. He's probably, a, he looked like he was 12. I don't know how. I don't know how old that brother was, but he has a shoebox, and he opens a shoebox up, and there's five needles in there. And I get to pick which one I want. 
First one got a little bent needle, the next one's rusty. You know, I'm looking, so I picked one of them. He said, you got malaria, you got a new strain of malaria, I'm going to give you this shot and it's going to help you. I said, whatever, man, I was sick. They took the shot, stuck it in my liver and gave me a shot. I don't know what happened from there. All I know is that I ended up back on an airplane with a doctor and that doctor flew with me all the way back to L.A. They had given me a shot that caused that hep C to morph into cancer. And I, I, you know, of course at the time, we don't know none of that, I just know I'm sick. I end up in the hospital for a, a, a couple of months, actually, and other people were preaching for me. I was pastoring in Oceanside. My church had grown. It was really growing. It was becoming large, and, and I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker, and I, I could hardly function. So finally, the, the hep C had really started taking hold. So they came out with the, uh, some different ideas and thoughts, and my doctor was in Rancho Bernardo, uh, California. You guys know where it's at, down by San Diego. And I went to the doctor one day, and he had he'd been in a, killed in a car wreck. The doctor that I was telling, they said, your, your, your doctor your doctor's dead. And I said, wow, bummer, man. Uh, you know. <laughs> they said, well, we got another doctor here, and he's going to take care of you. And I said, okay, that'll be fine. Now, let me go back in my story. Let me go back many, many years earlier. Many years earlier, I was in, the, in a place called Kolar Goldfield, which is outside of Madras, India. And I was there at a Baptist missionary house. And the reason they had chose, I didn't choose it, they chose it. It was a place they were going to put a well in because there was no water supply for like 30 miles. And so I was there to help put this well in. At the Baptist missionary house is a little girl about this big, and she's learning to speak English. I'm a nice guy, so I'm, I, hello, I'm, I'm speaking with her. Nobody else is spending any time, but I'm trying to talk to the little girl. She's become my little friend. But the truth is it's it become dangerous because the equipment we were using, I mean, the wires were, they didn't even have no rubber on the wires. They're going through pools of water. If you step in there, you're like cooked. It's an electrocution city out there. The equipment is old. It's rat-tat. It's bad. It's dangerous. But here's more, more important. Right across the street, maybe from here to the windows in the back, there's a wall there, and there's four four or five people out there, usually there was four, untouchables. You guys know what an untouchable is? Uh, it's a class of person. In India, they have classes. And uh, in other words, you're, you're a low class, a middle class, high class, but it really means something there. And if you're an untouchable, it means you were barely born human. You're like just above a flea on a dog's back. You're, you're, you're untouchable. Nobody can touch you. Nobody can get around you, or they're considered unclean. So if you get around them, that you become unclean and nobody will touch you. If they don't touch you, it means you can't work a job. You, you can't, you're going to beg. So, so what their parents do, many of them, not all of them, but many of the parents, when the baby is born in an untouchable class, the parents will maim them. They'll take acid and pour it on their face, blind them, uh, tear their arms off, do all kinds of things to, to make them look as grotesque as possible so that they will be better beggars for their whole life. So there's four of them on the other side of the street over there, and the guy that's running this, this company that I'm with, there with says, do not go around them. If you go around them, the people here will not work with you. You'll have to go back to America. It's over. You can't touch the untouchable. Stay away from them. So every day, I'm a nice guy. I was trying to just kind of act like nobody's watching. I'm flip, flipping pennies and nickels to them, you know, trying to help them out. Okay, so, so, but I understand they're untouchable, and I'm over here, they're over there, and we're working. And so one day, I'm standing out there, it was the strangest moment, I, I, it's hard to even explain to you, but all of a sudden the equipment just had like an explosion. 
boom. Okay, just something shorted out. I don't hit the water. I don't know. But my first thought is, where's the little girl? Where's the little girl? And I turn around, and she's on the porch. And, and right when I saw her, it's like slow-mo, I hear this thump. And I turn back around, and there, there was a guy that I had noticed walking up the street. I thought he was an Indian fella. He looked Indian to me. And he was walking right by the untouchables. And I remember my thought was, how come he gets to go by the untouchable and I don't? What makes him able to do it? That was my thought. Then explosion. I turn. I turn back around. And that guy had been hit by a car. And there was a car. And I, I, I it was like slow-mo. And I saw his body <laughs> under the car. The Indian cars, some of them, are ride a little higher than our cars. Like if it was a Camry, that brother would have been a skid mark. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to be. It was a little taller. So, so his body rolled. And I'm thinking, oh, dude, man, he got hit. Whoa. You know, it's like, whoa. And then all of a sudden I looked, and I don't know what made me do it. I looked up the street, and here's another car coming, and I could see this guy's eyes. And he looked at the guy in the street, and he looked over and he sees the untouchable. He looked at the guy in the street, he sees the untouchable. And in his mind, I know, I, somehow I knew what he's thinking. The guy in the street's untouchable now. He's, he's dirty. He's unclean. And that guy ran him over like a dog in the street. Boom! Hits him again. I watch his life. Now he's moved from probably where Pastor John is all the way over to this side. He's twice he's been hit. Twice he's been hit. I'm, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm not a hero. I'm not nothing. I'm just a guy. You know, whoa, man, the dudes are running him over. I look up and here's another car coming. And I see his eyes. I said, they're going to kill this guy. All this is happening slow-mo and fast at the same time. And something inside me, I ran out there. I just ran out there. I grabbed this guy up off the street. First of all, you shouldn't have moved him. He has broken bones sticking out. I mean, he's jacked up, buddy. I mean, he's messed up. I, I could have been dead for all I know. But I grabbed him up, and I jumped, and that car almost got me. Boom, right by me. I said, whoa. Like that. Now I'm holding this, by, this guy. He's a little bit about my size. He's heavy, and I'm holding him. And I think he's just flopped over. He's like he's dead in my arms. I'm not sure what to do. But now I come walking back over to where I was working, and everybody split like the Red Sea because now I'm untouchable. Now I'm untouchable. And the boss says, I told you don't go over there. I said, I'm holding this guy. And it's like they won't talk to me because I've, I got around this, this untouchable person. And I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm, I mean, I'm from Arizona. I'm, doesn't make no sense to me. Amen. Are you listening to me? And so all of a sudden, I'm holding this guy, and I look at the little girl, and I said, do you know this boy? Do you know him? He goes, new boy. She said to me, he's a new boy. I said, well, who's his daddy? She goes, he, over there. I said, take me to his daddy. So we walked, oh, I don't know, just around the corner, and there's a little shack. I mean, man, you wouldn't even put your dog in this shack. This is where they're living, okay? And so, so I go there, and this guy's there. Long story short, I'm just going to call the man Pretop Singh. We go there, and I take this boy, and we take him to the hospital. Now, certain parts of India, maybe not all the more developed areas, but in those parts, you, you, you um, the, the doctors will give you a shot, but you have to go find the, the blood. You have to go find the medicine. So as a family, you're responsible to find all the medicine, bring them back to the doctors. You're responsible to do all of these things. And so, so we take the boy there, and he's messed up. I don't know what's going to happen, but I tell Pratap Singh, give me your address, give me your stuff. And I told him, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to send you $75 a month to help out with this. Listen, $75 a month back then was like $3,000 today. I was thinking, I don't even know what I'm saying. I can't, I don't know how I'm going to afford this, but I'm going to try to help. I just felt bad. I saw the conditions. I said, I'm going to try to help. So I began to send $75 a month to help this kid, okay, to this pray top saying, I'm getting no response. I don't know what my money's doing. Suddenly one day I get back a little broken letter thanking me and telling me, don't send no more money. Because what had happened, let me, let me go back in the story. Pratop Singh had been married to a woman, and as she gave birth to their first son, she passed away. She died in birth. So Pratop Singh had raised a, a, a son by himself. The son was probably, I don't know, I'm going to say a teenager. Many years later, Pratop Singh had married an Indian woman, uh, an Egyptian woman, I'm sorry, an Egyptian woman from Egypt. The Egyptian woman was also a single mother who had an Egyptian son. The boy that got hit by the car